0: Additional terms and conditions apply. I'm Michelle, recovering yeller, control freak, and perfectionist. I didn't want to be a connected parent, but my strong and smart oldest daughter would not succumb to my bribes, threats, and manipulations. After years of control parenting, I threw it all out and started over. I doubled down on the idea of connective parenting and turned in time out for time in. It's taken me years to figure out how to unknot sticky situations without using punishments, but I've finally cracked the code and now I can help you create the relationship with your child that you dreamt of having when you first decided to become a parent. It's not easy letting go of star charts and bribes, but you can change. Listen in as we interview parents just like us who found success and hear from experts who will help us better understand how to form a deep bond with our children. Welcome to the Peace and Parenting Podcast. Adolescents LA with an L-E-S-S-O-N-S at the end. Dolly, can you please introduce yourself to my audience?
1: Sure. Hi, Michelle. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I'm so happy to be here with you. I'm Dr. Dolly Clock. I'm a family medicine physician. I am a mom of two teens. I have a 17-year-old son and a 14-year-old daughter, so I'm in the thick of it with all of this. And adolescence is my business. I started a few years ago because as my kids were getting older, I was getting more and more questions from friends, parents in my community who knew I was a physician about all of my favorite subject matter, all the great growing up stuff, how and when to talk to kids about changing bodies and puberty and sex and vaping, and substances, and mental health, and body image, and all of that stuff. And I realized that parents just really needed extra support in this area. So I started offering parent education and support groups, and I do a lot of work with schools for parent ed. And I started doing more work with kids and tweens and teens, puberty workshops, teen groups on a variety of topics, because there's just so much to talk about.
0: Yeah, there is. There's a lot. It's a big developmental stage for our kids. Huge. They're going through a lot during these years. They are going through a lot. They always yeah. have. And then now we have a pandemic on top of it. So, Poor you know, which, babies. Yeah. It's yeah. A lot. It's not easy. I have two. Everyone knows if they don't, I have a 12 year old and a 15 year old. And it's hard for these kids. It really is. It's not easy, the pandemic, and it's not easy going through adolescence. I've seen just them and their friends change so much. and trying to find themselves and figure it all out. And all these brand new first time they feel sexually attracted to another person. And the first time they're having their period and their voice change, a lot of stuff.
1: And it's a lot for parents too. It's also a really emotional time for parents. And I think that's another thing that everyone thinks about the kids and what they're going through. But the parents are going through a lot experiencing this with their kids. Yeah, too.
0: We've talked about it, like when they start hitting 11 and 12 and they want to pull away and they want all that autonomy. And it's like, wait, what? I yeah. thought I was your whole world. Why are you leaving me now? I've, you know, I'm just getting used to you being around all the time. And now you just want to be with your friends. So that's really hard too for parents. Yeah, it is. I think yeah. it's
1: hard with your first and also with the baby too. You know, it's such a marker of the passing of time as they oh. try to establish their independence.
0: Yeah, it's hard. I really wanted to talk about when should we start talking to our kids about where babies come from? Because I think that's like the first big conversation people have with their kids that's uncomfortable. People, you know, they always ask, when should I start talking? And what do I say? And so can you help us?
1: I love that you led with the discomfort of it. Because I think even before we talk about when, I think talking about The fact that this subject is so loaded for so many people is really important. And so I think some time for some self-reflection about why it is that this might be uncomfortable for parents, you know, for some people, it just wasn't modeled for them. A lot of people were raised with shame around sex and bodies changing, or it just was not discussed. And so that modeling may not have been there for us as parents in terms of what a healthy open relationship between parent and child around this subject matter looks like. And I think some people have a history of sexual trauma that makes things more complicated. I think I see, and I'm sure you do too in your work, a lot of the kind of perfectionist parenting on how that can get in the way where people are scared to talk about it because they're afraid of saying the wrong thing not getting it right. Like, because again, there's this heaviness somehow around this topic. And so I'm here to say most importantly, that you don't have to be a sex educator expert to have this conversation with your kids. And number one goal in talking about where babies come from, something as simple as this, is just to be real and to sort of embrace that opportunity to connect with your child and establish yourself as An approachable adult, an askable adult, so that they know as you move through all these phases of adolescence, they know that they can come to you with their questions and you're not gonna freak out about it. Yeah. So I think that's important.
0: What do we say? When do we say it? And how do we not say too much? I'm like totally open. I think I said too much the first time with Esme. I think I shocked her and she was like, Ew, this is gross why are you telling me this? And I was like, I don't know. Actually, I don't know. I'm just trying to be
1: open. I think that is really common. And first of all, it might gross them out. And that's okay, because this is like a wild concept. If it's not something they have thought of before. The saying too much is such a natural human response, you know, especially if we're a little nervous about it that we tend to ramble on and give a little bit too much information sometimes. And that's okay too, right? Again, it doesn't have to be perfect. So the when is going to depend a lot on the child. So when we're talking about the younger kids, because developmentally, these are questions that typically come up at age four, five, six. Where do babies come from? Questions about birth. How did the baby get in there in the first place, right? Those are the things that come up around sort of late preschool, early elementary for the kids who ask a lot of questions. Some kids are not askers, right? But so when you have a very young child, you have this gift of time. So you can really kind of meet them where they are developmentally, listen for the questions, use those teachable moments, the pregnant teacher, the pregnant woman walking down the street. If they ask, especially when they're young, it's really good to like understand what exactly it is they're asking. So always a great comeback is like, what a great question. Tell me what you already know, or what made you ask that, right? Yeah, I and like so that. Come at it with like enthusiasm and positivity. And then sometimes the question they're asking is not what you think they're asking. So maybe you don't have to go into so much detail. So I yeah. think giving little bits of information at a time and then letting them lead the conversation
0: and asking follow-up questions or wanting clarification, that's a good general starting. So just going at eight and telling her everything was probably not the best.
1: (laughs) There is this (laughs) feeling that parents have that it's time for the sex talk. And we're going to sit down and have this all encompassing life altering conversation, but nobody wants, like the parent doesn't want to do that. The kid doesn't want to hear it. No one can process all that information when they're, Whatever. And I want to check eight, it nine, off my list.
0: Yep. Did that. They know where the babies. The sperm got explained. Here we go. That's it. You know? Exactly. So little, little bits, bits at a time. And it's you're drip. starting a conversation. Yeah. You're dripping the information. I like that. Yeah. Yes. And I like the question too, which I should have done, but I didn't because I was I think I got so nervous. But I should have said, Well, what do you think? Like, how do you think it happens? Because after I told her, then she's went to her dad and she was like, did you actually do that to mommy? (laughs) And he was like, um, yeah. And she was like, this is so disgusting. You guys are gross. (laughs) I was just like this is not what I wanted or expected. But I don't know, you know, I you know, but
1: that's so natural. And I think people hear that response for their child. And they think, Oh, my gosh, I traumatized them or I gave them more. But the fact that she went and asked her dad means that she got it. Like she understood <laughs> what you said, like that made sense checking back <laughs> checking in like for reals. And the funny thing is when they realize like, that maybe people do this more often than time. once, right? Like, or, or as many children as there are in the family and like, getting to those conversations, because really, that's where we get to connect with our kids, right? Mm -hmm. And I know you're so big on connection as I am. And I think once you can get past these basic mechanics kind of conversations, then you get to have the really robust talking about sex in terms of like, it being a part of relationships and part of intimacy and love, and all of that. And it's so important for our kids to like,
0: hear that story too as they get older. And so what about puberty? What are your top tips for us on puberty? And what should we be talking about? And what's important?
1: Puberty is a fantastic into these conversations because their bodies are actually physically changing before everyone's eyes. The thing about puberty that people don't understand is that it's happening earlier than they think it is. Mm -hmm. So I do these parent-child puberty workshops, and I usually do them for fourth through sixth grade is sort of the time that most families reach out to me for this. And it's really interesting how most of our schools aren't starting to teach human development until fifth grade, if they're teaching it at all, it depends yeah. on the school. By fifth grade, especially when we're talking about girls, a lot of them are well allowed. Like when I do a puberty workshop for a group of fifth grade girls, typically there's at least one in there who already has their period and has been managing it for some time. Kids begin puberty between the ages of eight and 14. That's a huge range. So girls start a little bit earlier between eight and 13. Boys begin between eight to 13. Boys begin between nine to 14. That means that some kids are starting puberty when they're in like third grade and others aren't beginning until they're heading off to high school. It's a massive range. So if you have the totally prepubescent child, you may not be thinking about this as a parent, but their peers that -hmm. are their age may be much farther along than they are. And when their peers are farther along, your prepubescent child is watching all this and the conversation starts to shift within the group at school. Yeah. And so that's why I think it's so important for parents to start talking earlier than they think they need to. Like
0: eight years old. Yeah. 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 That's and the cool think thing like is, about periods, like here's what a period is. I mean, my kids would always go in the bathroom with me and they're like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm changing my tampon. Does everyone have to like, do I need an audience? And they're like, oh, here, let me get you one. And so it was like, you know, it was so a great. thing like, what are you doing? I'm like, I have my period. Oh, you bleed? Ew, you know. What? And so it was like, all right. But
1: what a great into the conversation. Like now right. it's not a big mystery, right? Because some parents will hide everything, tell you when you're older, and it becomes this big, like you know, shrouded in mystery. <laughs> right. Like what is this topic, right? <laughs> Here is you can start with deodorant and body odor and little things yeah. like that and getting hairy. I mean, I always joke that like. CVS or Rite Aid is, you know, just such a puberty bonanza when it comes to starting these conversations. There's acne products and there's feminine products and there's like so much to deodorant. There's so much to
0: talk about there. So, and I think it's like the more open you are, it just becomes like it's not a big deal. Right. Yes. And I think that's what we all would strive for. Esme, she went to her friend's house for dinner and really sweet Italian couple. And the mom said, Oh, you didn't go to the you didn't swim at the pool party for school last week. And she goes, Oh, yeah, I just started my period. And I didn't really want to go and they were all out to dinner. And she goes, the mom was really like, she didn't respond. And I was like, Well, some people don't talk about their periods at dinner. <laughs>
1: that's- <laughs> well, that's another discussion, right? Like they're different families have different sort of privacy rules yes. and tolerances for certain discussions. But within your own home to be open. Yes. is I always think of myself, and I'm a physician, I'm married to a physician. And so for us, we're just talking about bodies and bodily functions It just come so naturally to us. And so ever since our kids were really little, like as soon as they asked a question, we always answered, there was no question that was, you're not old enough to know that, right? No. The answer is going to vary depending right. on your age. But if they're old enough to ask a question, they're old enough for an answer because they're thinking
0: about it right that's what I worry too about kids if you don't tell them they are going to take what they know and assume that's real about sex about body image about pornography about all these things if we don't talk to them about them then whatever they encounter with their friends they're going to take that as reality. They're curious and they are all
1: naturally curious. It just pops up at different ages for different kids. But if they're curious, they're going to get the information from their friends, from their older siblings, from their friends' older siblings, from the internet. And this is where I think that's such an important conversation too, because our kids are online all the time. They have to be for school. And so they're getting exposed to things at much earlier ages. And so that also is another driver for why we need to really Have these conversations.
0: Yeah, it's so important. And I think you're right. They're connective in a way. It's like you're bonding over something that's important in life and you're bonding over this experiential talk you're having with your child that's kind of intimate. And so it creates this intimacy between you. And that's so lovely.
1: That's right. And the conversations evolve so quickly, especially once they get to middle school. There's so much more to talk about than just mechanics of sex or things like preventing pregnancy or infections, right? Like if you want to really be able to talk about consent and about sexual assault and about sexting and porn and the messages that people are getting from that, right? Like you have to have covered some foundations already. And those conversations do very naturally evolve when kids feel like their parents are open and honest and
0: approachable. That's where we can use our influence, the very little influence we have, because we don't want to tell them what to do or give too many opinions. But in those conversations, I'm always like, well, you know, some marijuana's laced with all kinds of stuff if you get it from a drug dealer. So let's just keep that in mind. It's like, okay, what can I tell them that I really want them to know to keep them safe? And will right. they listen to me? Where's my influence? And have I created that safe space for them? And when they're younger, they're more likely to have
1: some more extended conversations with you. And as parents, I mean, we're the ones that are going to be teaching our values around these topics, right? No okay. one else can do that for you. And I promise that Google Images does not share your values when it comes to sexuality
0: and what you uh-huh. hope for your child as they mature. It's interesting though, because my daughter I said, what do you think about consent? What are your ideas on that? And she was like, mom, you know, there's this whole like, TikTok campaign on consent and I've been following all along with it and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, Oh, I don't hate TikTok anymore. Like there's some good stuff out there. And she was really really talking about it. And I was impressed with what she'd learned from TikTok about consent. And she's like, it's an important thing, mom. I was like, thank you for informing me. I appreciate it. I love that. Well, she's watching good stuff. So that's good. The algorithms will hopefully send her more of that good stuff. Well, I assure you there's bad stuff in there too. (laughs) Oh, I promise there is. And I've seen it. (laughs) And we got to talk about that too, right? Right. Just like the real world. What about mood changes? I know a lot of us, I think there's this idea that teenagers have mood changes. They turn, their personality changes when they enter adolescence. And somehow we dismiss it as like, oh, they're just a teenager. Their mood's changed and there's no reaching them. There's no getting to them. We just have to let it ride it out. They're just, they're being jerks.
1: Yeah. Which I know neither you nor I agree with that. And I love talking to parents about kind of mood changes and adolescent brain development in particular, because I think when we can understand the physiology underneath all of that, then it may not make the behaviors less irritating or annoying, but we can kind of come at them with a little bit more understanding and empathy. And so what you're describing is a combination of sort of that developmental drive to establish independence, right? Which means some pulling away, which is natural and important. That's Mm -hmm. something they need to do, but it doesn't mean that we have to now be okay with them just being isolated in their room all the time. They still need us. They need to hear from us. They need to be connected to us. So we can't allow them to just disappear for their formative years. The mood, moodiness, and I'm not talking about mood disorders. I mean, that's a whole other topic, especially right now in the pandemic, that's so important. But I'm talking about those big emotional outbursts that seem to come out of nowhere, sudden aggression out of nowhere, right? Where it's like totally out of proportion to the inciting event. And we as parents are like, what the heck is happening to my kid? And oftentimes I hear about this from parents of, you know, kids that are like eight, nine, 10. And the parents are like, what? I thought this was for the teenage years. But again, this is because at that age that the early adolescent brain changes are happening. And so essentially what's going on is, to totally dumb down the, you know, brain yes, science. Please is do that. <laughs> is that. the sort of emotional reactive centers of our brain a part of our brain called the limbic system, which is located deep toward the back of our brain in our kids already in early adolescence. That part of the brain is really quite mature. It is sending and receiving signals very, very efficiently. And that is a part of the brain that's important in charge of things like Anxiety, rage, basic functions like hunger, thirst, satiety, right? This is like the raw emotional part of our brain. It is working really, really well. So, the part that is not fully online is that frontal cortex, right? Which is behind our forehead. That's the executive center. That's where impulse control comes from, organizational skills, planning ahead, foreseeing future consequences to today's actions, right? That's a part of the brain that can put the brakes on the reactive limbic system. But in our kids, there's an imbalance. That part of the brain is not fully cooked and will not be until they're in their mid to late 20s. Yay. So when they have those big outbursts or they're making these impulsive feel good decisions, they're really not trying to be difficult. There is just like, it's a manifestation of what is going on inside yeah. the brains. Their so, limbic
0: system is exploding. Yes. And it's throwing this prefrontal cortex out of there. And our prefrontal cortex isn't even barely working when you're eight. Right. But it's so important for us to understand this as parents, because we tend
1: to take things personally, right? And we get sucked into it and it elicits our stress response. And we go to that mama bear, papa bear place. And we want to make it better, or we want them to stop being upset, or we don't understand why it's happening. And then now we're cycling together and we're spiraling down. If we can just like hang on and be like, all right, I understand why this is happening. This is part of their normal development. I'm just going to be here and be supportive. And I will say, most of the time, if you can do that, it will blow
0: over. And they will be like, whoa, I don't know what just happened. Yes, Dolly, you're speaking my language. This is it. This is like the whole backtalk conversation. You you know, it's just like they're not doing it to make you mad. They're doing it because their brain is crazy right now. It's just bananas in there. It doesn't mean it's
1: easy as a parent mm -hmm. to like try Mm -hmm. to stay calm in those moments, but that's such a skill that Mm -hmm. we can all work on. And it's 100%
0: worth it. It is. And I think the whole thing about not taking it personally, they're not doing it as a personal attack to us. They're doing it because they're just not doing well. This is a hard time of life. Can you imagine a limbic system that's full of period problems and trying to figure out if you're gay? Are you bisexual? Are you heterosexual? Who do you like? Who likes you? Maybe no one does. You've got body odor for the first time. You've got hair growing in places. It's hard. It is a lot. They're thinking about
1: a lot and experiencing a lot. Yeah. And so the more we can do to just, just support calm. and normalize all of that, the better.
0: Yeah, I think it's so good. Okay, one last word on pornography. Okay. I'd love to end with pornography. Just, just one last Can we just throw in pornography? <laughs> I like how you
1: just brought that into the conversation. Wait, what do you think about pornography? <laughs> oh my gosh we have to talk about porn because this is the reality. And I'm not talking about, you know, like Playboy and Penthouse or even like the porn that was around on like the one VCR tape
0: that like maybe you oh, and your friends oh, passed saw around. Right? Oh, I saw it. Uh-huh. Freshman I so what school, we're I dealing with now <laughs> is
1: like free internet porn that's ubiquitous, easily accessible, no age verification. And some of it, not all of it, some of it is also intermixed with violence and very misogynistic, degrading acts toward women, things like that, right? So this is not a conversation about adults and their use of porn, but I'm talking about kids and the fact that this is part of how they're getting educated about sex because we have to understand that kids are naturally curious. They're curious about bodies. They're curious about what sex is. They go online to get the answers for everything else. So why wouldn't they go online to get answers about all of this, right? Mm -hmm. They're getting a lot of skewed messages and they're getting confusing messages and sometimes they're getting violent messages. And so this can really impact their expectations in terms of what sexuality is. This is a very worthwhile conversation. There's all sorts of theories about what's the first age of porn exposure on average, I've read everything from eight to 11. It's earlier than you think. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes it's accidental. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes it's the same SEO that any good business has to make sure Mm -hmm. our kids are getting targeted as well. So if they're old enough to be online without your direct supervision, I think this is a worthwhile conversation because what you don't want is a kid, and this happens a lot, and I get these phone calls where parents discover the kid has gone down the rabbit hole for quite some time before the parents aware that they've been watching porn regularly, right? And what you don't want is the kid who's maybe seeing an upsetting image or is trying to process and understand and they're doing this by themselves because they feel like they'll get in trouble or they'll feel like they'll be shamed by their parents. Yeah. So starting these conversations about how At some point when you're online, you might see their crazy stuff pops up even if you're not looking for it or you're watching one YouTube video and another one pops up and suddenly it has something to do with naked bodies or sex or something. Just if that happens, tell me so I can
0: explain it. I think that goes back to this whole idea that I hate to bring it back to parenting, but I'm going to because it's a Parenting Podcast. But if we are not shaming our kids ever, And if we're not punishing our kids ever, and if we're not giving them consequences ever, and if we're not belittling them ever, then they're more likely to come to us with this stuff. But if we are living in a control parenting kind of situation, you can't control them until they're 10 or 11 and then say, oh, by the way, you can tell me anything. It's not going to translate well because you've shown them that they can't tell you anything. And the same goes for the backtalk kind of thing or the adolescent outbursts. If you show them you're safe and that you'll be calm and that you'll be their supporter during these upsetting moments, you're more likely to be able to have a open line of communication in other areas of their life because you've demonstrated that you are safe. So I think that all of this, you know, amazing information and these incredible conversations are so much more possible if you are parenting with connection. A hundred percent. I could not agree more.
1: And that's what it's all about. I mean, I really see these conversations as wonderful opportunities to deepen that connection mm-hmm. completely. And if you can talk about this subject matter, you can
0: talk about anything, anything. Mm-hmm. But you have to set the stage. You have to be that person that didn't punish your child because they don't feel like they're going to get in trouble if they bring up pornography with you. And they say, I saw this on you know, my phone and mom. And sort of
1: anticipating that that moment might happen or that you might walk in and find your child. And how are you going to react in that moment? Like practice that in your mind. Because of course, again, it's that mama bear instinct or papa bear instinct coming out, right? Where you're likely to freak out. But if you can think about this in advance and be like, oh, okay, I'm going to stay calm and we're going to talk about it and deconstruct it.
0: And I think that's the the other thing too, is like our expectations. We expect our kids to kind of be, and or not make mistakes and or if they're good kids, they're not going to seek out looking at pornography. They're not gonna seek out having sex with someone or they're not gonna try drugs or they're not gonna do all these things. But I think be prepared. Your kids are likely gonna do one of these things or many of these things. Or if you were like me as a teenager, you're gonna do all of these things. (laughs) And so it's like, you have to expect these things are coming at you. And just like you said, how are you going to respond? Because if your response is going to inform what they tell you next time. Right. Or if yeah. they're going to tell you anything at all. That's or right. So when you're taking to students and be like, we went to the party and everyone smoked pot. Then you just have to be like, inside, you're like, oh, shit, it's coming. This is it. This is the conversation. You just be like, oh, right. Really? Cool.
1: <laughs>
0: tell me what happened. Yeah. You know, and then you're telling me. Yeah. And yeah. I think it's coming. And or you go to your kid's room and you find marijuana or you find a vape or you find all these things. And like, what are you going to do? Are you going to come down hard on them and punish them and push them deeper into this place where they want to use more of these, whatever drugs they are, and or they don't want to talk to you and or what good things are coming out of coming down on them? Or is it better just to let it be what it is? Big conversations. Really hard. I can tell you so hard.
1: But just for one second to bring it back to the porn related
0: conversation (laughs) is,
1: again, why I think it's so important to be having conversations as they're getting older about sex as part of intimacy, right? Mm -hmm. Sex as part of a loving relationship, because they're not getting that message when they watch porn about how it's supposed to be pleasurable for all people involved, right? These are the confusing messages that they're getting when they're watching that Harvard Graduate School of Education as part of their Making Caring Common project. They did a survey of young adults. I think it was like maybe three years ago now. It was 18 to 25-year-olds. And they found that 70% of young adults said they wish they had gotten more information from their parents about the emotional aspect of relationships. Mm-hmm. So they really, truly want and need to hear from us about that. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, I love I that study. I want that study. Can you send that to me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. I like that. I'd like to post that. That's really good. I love that. That's all connection too, right? It is all connection. Yeah. Everybody wants to be connected. Thank you, Dr. Dolly, for coming. This was so lovely. Oh my gosh. Thank you for having me. I always love talking with you. I hope it was helpful for people. I'm sure people will get a lot of information out of it. Can you tell us where we can find you if we want to find you? Sure. So my website
1: is, oh boy, it's a mouthful. It's, Adolescentsla.com, dot com I'm on Instagram as
0: AdolescentsLA. You can also find all my other social media links from my website there. We will put it in our show notes and on Instagram, and I follow her so you can find her that way too. And it's L-E-S-S-O-N-S, lessons, which is so cute. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you for being with us. Thank you, everybody, for joining us on the Peace and Parenting podcast. And we will see you next time. Thanks, Michelle. Thank you.